Previously on Caustic Soda. How Dye! We won again! This is good. But what is best in life? The open step. Three tours. Falcons at your wrist. And wind in your hair. Wrong! Conan! What is best in life? To crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and to hear a lamentation of your women. That is good. And now, the conclusion. The starting date of the Armenian Genocide is conventionally held to be 24th of April 1915, the Mm. day when the Ottoman authorities arrested about 250 Armenian intellectuals and community leaders in Constantinople. Thereafter, the Ottoman military uprooted Armenians from their homes and forced them to march for hundreds of miles, depriving them of food and water to the desert. Massacres were indiscriminate of age or gender, with rape and other sexual abuse commonplace. The date 24th of April is today commemorated as Genocide Remembrance Day by Armenians around the world. If you're going to genocide someone... Okay, all right, I'm not sure that's a verb, but okay. Why would you send your soldiers on a long hike with them out to the desert? Uh, We'll get to that, because they didn't send soldiers with them. Oh, I see. Which became part of the problem. Okay. Ottoman Minister of Interior Mehmad Talat Bey, and I'm probably mispronouncing that, but I gave it a shot, had already begun a propaganda drive to present Armenians living in the empire as a threat to the empire's security, making such statements as, the Armenians are in league with the enemy. They will launch an uprising in Istanbul, kill off the Committee of Union and Progress leaders, and succeed in opening the Straits of the Dardanelles. Oh, those Dardanelles. Kids say the Dardanelles things. Uh Uh-huh. And an Armenian, Aiton Belkand, infiltrated the Ottoman army as an official. He claims to have witnessed the burning of 5,000 Armenians alive. Uh, Lieutenant Hassan Marouf of the Ottoman army describes a similar event. The shortest method for disposing of the women and children concentrated on the various camps was to burn them. Oscar S. Heiser, the American consul at Trabzon, reported... Many of the children were loaded into boats and taken out to sea and thrown overboard. The oh. Italian consul of Trabzon in 1915, Giacomo Gorini, wrote, I saw thousands of innocent women and children placed on the boats which were capsized into the Black Sea. Oh, wasting the boats as well. Well, maybe they were like uh, giant kayaks and they just like barrel rolled them. Oh, I see. Right. Maybe they just, uh, you know. They, they rolled and when they came back up, nobody was in the boats anymore. Yes. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Something like that. Although, you know, in uh, a callback to our Stalin episode, they sunk more than a handful of barges with a bunch of prisoners on board. Mm-hmm. So sure. you can always make more boats. You have an excess of boats and an excess of Armenians. Or you got that boat that you're kind of like, oh, God, I wish I didn't have to pay mortgage on this thing anymore. Ugh, it's such a burden. It's such a drain. And then the Ottoman army comes and said, hey, man, we need, we're looking for a boat we want to sink. And then uh, you go, have I got a boat for you? Was it like an insurance scam? Yeah, or more it's just it's, like, you know, you don't have to pay maintenance any longer. It's, it's like buying old cars to wreck in a movie. Yeah. Somebody's got one. Well, you know the old saying, Torin, the two happiest days of a boat owner's life are the day they buy it and the day they sink it with Armenians on board. <laughs> I've heard that. Mm-hmm. Hoffman Philip, great-grandfather of Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yes. Hoffman Philip, the American... That guy's like a chameleon. (laughs) He acts acts exactly like a charge d'affaires in Constantinople. He wrote, back to the U.S., boatloads sent from Zor down the river arrived at Anna, 30 miles away, with three-fifths of the passengers missing. 
And I bet the mm-hmm. other fifth, hmm. or the other two fifths, were people shoving them overboard. Zor. Trabzon's health services inspector, Dr. Zia Fuad, wrote that Dr. Saib caused the death of children with the injection of morphine. Oh. Well, but, uh, you know, if you're going to go away, like, we, we already read yeah. about people getting burned alive. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's better, but I, I, unexpected. The injecting, yeah. Maybe he thinks he's being nice. All these he, all these adults can die horribly by being burned, but I'm going to put these kids to sleep with some morphine so they can just die. Yeah, because if you have morphine, you just kind of, like, go loopy, and then you close your eyes and you never open up again. I mean, it's... There's a lot more atrocities to come, Torn. Oh, you know, I'm uh, sorry. Did, yeah. I, did I prematurely go? Ooh, <laughs> you did. Oh, because okay. I don't know where you're going to go from that. You can't like you can't go. Ugh. You got like a lot more exclamations of horror. It's to come. also odd that it's Torn is being uh, upset about kids dying mm-hmm. when really normally he does a little jig. Uh, Dr. Adnan, the Public Health Services Director of Trabzon, submitted affidavits reporting cases in which two school buildings were used to organize children and send them to kill them with toxic gas. Hmm. Uh, the Ottoman surgeon, Dr. Haydar Sernal, wrote, uh, when the spread of typhus was an acute problem, innocent Armenians slated for deportation at Erzakan were inoculated with the blood of typhoid fever patients without rendering that blood inactive. Why? <laughs> to give them typhoid. Why? <laughs> so that they would die. Oh, that seems like a long way to go. Better than morphine. Ooh. Not better than morphine. Not better than morphine. I make fun of you. Dr. Tefik Rushdu, Inspector General of Health Services, organized the disposal of Armenian corpses with thousands of kilos of lime over a six-month period. Right. He would later be appointed Foreign Secretary from 1925 to 1938. Because of his expertise in burying bodies. Mm-hmm. Oh, expertise in lime, anyway. You know? Put the lime in the coconut and shake it all up. Mm-hmm. Kill me some Armenians. Give me some mummy, you get pointed to phone secretary of 2538. <laughs> that was terrible. Uh, thank you. On the 29th of May, 1915, the Temporary Law of Deportation, or the Tajir Law, was passed. It authorized the government to deport anyone it sensed as a threat to national security. Wow. Then, once deported, the government could take possession of abandoned Armenian goods and sure. pro- goods and properties. This doesn't sound like anything happening uh, modern day at all, does it? Where they get to declare people as enemy combatants and then just put them away and take their stuff without a trial? Or you could, you know, maybe in the 40s in some Central European country, they could have mm-hmm. put... Uh, people in camps and then taken all their stuff as they were like got off the trains to go into those camps. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, this this kind of I feel like the Armenian genocide was sort of a template for all of the genocides that f- have followed it. Yeah, the United States ambassador wrote scenes like this were common all over the Armenian provinces in the spring and summer months of 1915. Death in its several forms, massacres, starvation, exhaustion destroyed the largest part of the refugees. The Turkish policy was that of extermination under the guise of deportation. Right. Uh, the Ottomans founded a special organization in Turkish. It was called the Teskalat i Masusa to assist with the Armenian deportation. Any guesses where they found these volunteers from? Now, this is, see, these are the people that had to walk them out into the desert that we were oh, talking okay. about earlier. Okay. Where do you think the Ottoman government found the people? that they then put in the special organization to take the Armenians out into the desert. Hiking enthusiasts. Boy Scouts? Boy Scouts. Close. How about prisons? Oh, of course. Thousands of criminals were released from prison on the condition that they become part of this newly formed paramilitary unit. Wow. 
It's totally going to work out just fine. Vahib Pasha, commander of the Ottoman Third Army, called the special organization the Butchers of the Human Species. Oh. <laughs> hey, catty nickname. Army guys calling the special organization Butchers. Meh. I totally or, want to get the unit patch to put on the, my jacket. The BHS patch. <laughs> That's right. Uh, the Armenians were marched out to the desert around the Syrian town of Deir Azor into 25 major concentration camps. By August 1915, the New York Times repeated an unattributed report that the roads and the Euphrates are strewn with corpses of exiles and those who survive are doomed to certain death. It was a plan to exterminate the whole Armenian people. Ottoman troops escorting the Armenians not only allowed others to rob, kill, and rape the Armenians, but often participated themselves. Why do the Ottomans hate the Armenians so much? Because <laughs> I mean, you'd think the Ottomans are too close. You'd, they have a funny accent. <laughs> the nose is too big. You'd think the people who are called the Ottomans would be a lot more relaxed. Oh, because of the furniture. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, once you stick and put your feet up, it's no time for genocide. <laughs> Right? You're like, uh, I would go out and kill some Armenians, but I just so feel so relaxed. Yeah, I put my slippers on. Yeah. You know, I'm kicking back. I think the Armenians would like to make an Ottoman out of Ottoman. <laughs> no kidding. So the Ottoman Empire was uh, a ruled by Muslim Turks, and anybody who was non-Muslim was a second-class citizen. Uh, and the Armenians are Christians. Right. That's right. Because a lot of these, uh, when the Armenians were fleeing, like some of the refugees that would get away from these long death marches, they would they would flee towards the Russian border and they would get taken in by the Russians. So because the Russians were Christian too, so the Russians would accept these Armenian refugees. So I guess the Ottomans were just mad about the Crusades. Oh yeah, they're they hold a grudge. Jesus, it's probably not too far from the truth. Sad but true. Stop pointing at me. After the end of World War One, the Treaty of Sevres necessitated a trial to determine those responsible for the barbarous and illegitimate methods of warfare. Okay. Article 230 of the treaty required the Ottoman Empire to hand over to the Allied powers the persons whose surrender may be required by the latter as being responsible for the massacres committed during the continuance of the state of war on territory, which formed part of the Ottoman Empire on August 1st, 1914. That is a run-on sentence. Yes, well, it's legalese. It is legalese. Uh, Various Ottoman politicians, generals, and intellectuals were transferred to Malta, where they were held for three years, while investigators searched archives in Constantinople, London, Paris, and Washington to make cases against them. However, the detainees were eventually returned to Turkey in exchange for British citizens held by the Turks. No. (laughs) So Disappointing. So no war trials were held. Uh, on 15th of March, 1921, former Grand Vizier Talat Pasha was assassinated in Berlin in broad daylight. Oh. Talat's death was part of Operation Nemesis. Whoa. The Armenian Revolution. Star Trek movie. The Armenian Revolutionary Federation had that, used that code name for their operation in the 1920s to kill the planners of the Armenian Genocide. So the Armenian Revolutionary Federation, a.k.a. Oh. Vigilantes. Right. They were on a mission called Nemesis. Right. Uh, while there's no consensus as to how many Armenians lost their lives during the genocide, there is general agreement amongst Western scholars that between 600,000 to 1.5 million died in the campaign. German official Max Irvin von Schäubner Richter, that's a name, <laughs> wrote that fewer than 100,000 Turkish he Armenians. He just went by the name Maxi. <laughs> or maybe oh, he had Maxi. VSB. Maybe he went, just went by VSB because that's his von Schäubner Richter. German official Max Erwin von Schäubner-Richter wrote that fewer than 100,000 Turkish Armenians survived the genocide. 
22 countries have adopted resolutions acknowledging the Armenian Genocide as a bona fide historical event. On the 4th of March 2010, a U.S. congressional panel narrowly voted that the incident was indeed genocide. Within minutes, the Turkish government issued a statement critical of, and I quote, this resolution which accuses the Turkish nation of a crime it has not committed. Right. So uh, We didn't do it. Those people all just kind of died. You must be thinking of someone else. Yep. Uh, it was that and it, it was that guy over there. Dear Turkey, citation needed. <laughs> you misspelled Greece. Dear Turkey, like your bird, don't like your genocide. <laughs> I don't even like their bird. <laughs> the Herero and Namaqua genocide is considered to have been the first genocide of the 20th century. It took place between 1904 and 1907 in the German Southwest Africa, modern-day Namibia. So it only was three years. So how bad could it be? During the Herero Wars. You remember those chocolates? Herero Rocher? Uh, Herero Warshay? Herero Warshay. <laughs> yeah. I love them at Christmas. Under German colonial rule, natives were routinely, routinely used as slave laborers. That's something special. It happens all the time. Their lands frequently confiscated and cattle taken from them, which caused a great deal of resentment for some reason. <laughs> some strange reason. As well, the Otavi railway line being built from the coast, once finished, would have ushered a new wave of Europeans into the area, which was of great concern to the local tribes. Well, seeing as how the Europeans that are in the area now are stealing your cattle and confiscating your lands and turning you into slaves. There might be some concern. Then might you're be cause like, for concern. And then somebody goes, oh, they're using them for slaves to build the railway to bring more Europeans... Then they're going to go, hey, wait a minute. Maybe this isn't such a good idea. We don't really like these white devils. Well, in 1903, judging the situation intolerable. Okay. Uh-huh. Some of the Nama tribes rose in revolt, and the Herero joined them in January 1904. All right. The Africans killed between 123 and 150 Germans, and the Lieutenant General Lothar von Trotha... <laughs> He does sound like a villain, doesn't he? Was appointed supreme commander of Southwest Africa and arrived with an expeditionary force of 14,000 troops. Okay, so hold on a second. So the natives killed how many people? Up to 150. Killed 150 people. So Trota comes down and he's going to kill 151 and call it even, right? Maybe. Maybe. He comes down with 14,000 troops. Yeah, he's going to kill 150, then one for as a message. That's right. He's going to send a message. Don't F with the colonists. Governor Lutwein wanted to defeat the most determined Herero rebels and negotiate a surrender with the remainder. Trotha, however, planned to crush the native resistance. But in a good way, like, like pulping an orange for, good, for delicious to, juice. To crush right? the, the people juice? Yeah. Just don't I, say it three times. People juice, people juice, people juice. So this is uh, Trotha, Lothar von Trotha. <laughs> That is the most supervillain name I've ever heard on a real person. Like, it's almost as good. It's almost better than Darth Vader. Honestly, if Darth Vader had instead been called Lothar von Trotha, we wouldn't have missed a beat. But it, would, it wouldn't be Trotha. It would be like Choka or something. You, you, Darth names have to be <laughs> that, like some no, no, that's other. That's a little bit on the nose. Lothar von Choka. So is Come Vader on. and Maul <laughs> yeah, and Tyrannus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he actually, Vader actually chokes people, though. So Lothar von Choka. It would have been like. I was just playing on it would be It would be like calling me Kevin Von Hansen. Come on. Oh, that's true. I know he's German, not Austrian, but here we go. Mm-hmm. I know enough of African tribes that they give way only to violence. I destroy the rebellious tribes with streams of blood and money. <laughs> only from his seed, something new will emerge, which will remain. <laughs> so he said streams of blood and money? Yep. Is this like the 1903 version of Making It Rain? Like It's oh, like just throwing oh. money at him? 
You know, General Trotha stated his proposed solution to end the resistance before the Battle of Waterberg. Okay. Give me your clothes, your boots, and your motorcycle. <laughs> that's uh, that's what he said. No, Rara. He said. Yeah. <laughs> I believe that the nation, as such, should be annihilated, or if this was not possible by tactical measures, have to be expelled from the country. This would be possible if the water holes from Grootfontein to Gobabis are occupied. The constant movement of our troops will enable us to find the small groups of nation who have moved backwards and destroyed them gradually. Occupy water holes. Oh, so like they can't get water. Yeah, I guess so. Mm-hmm. Like so st- you put a soldier next to a well. And destroy them gradually. And you go, hey, were you looking for a drink? Kapow. A portion of the Herero escaped the Germans and went to the Omahiki Desert hoping to reach the British territory of Bukwana land okay. to prevent them from returning. Trotha ordered the desert to be sealed off. Seal off the desert, he was heard to say. <laughs> Seal off the desert. I can just imagine some guys pulling a huge ziplock uh, yeah. zip along one edge of the desert. We got it, sir. <laughs> Double sealed for freshness. German patrols later found skeletons around holes that had been dug in a vain attempt to find water. Oh. Uh, on a soap, on a... On 2nd October, Troth issued the Vermichtungsbefehl, or extermination order. Oh, it sounds a lot less threatening in German. The or no, it doesn't. Vermichtungsbefehl. Hassenpfeffer. The Herero's subjects are German subjects no longer. They have killed, stolen, cut off the ears and other parts of the body of wounded soldiers. And now are too cowardly to want to fight any longer. Oh, cowardly. That's yeah. what they are. They're cowardly. I, There's like how many of them and 15,000 German troops? <laughs> yeah. Like, Says so, so the guy who's just like, uh, who's who's just denying them all water and using superior weapons to fight he, them. He actually uttered the phrase, seal off the desert. Yeah. I announce to the people that whoever hands me one of the chiefs shall receive 1,000 marks and 5,000 marks for Samuel Meherero. That's what it says. Uh-huh. The Herero nation must now leave the country. If it refuses, I shall compel it to do so with the long tube. That's a cannon. Oh, okay. I thought he was going to wave his penis at them. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God it's a cannon. And the Herero found inside the German frontier, with or without gun or cattle, will be executed. I shall spare neither women nor children. I shall give the order to drive them away and fire on them. Did he just say, I will spare neither women nor children? Yes, that's yeah. what he said. So this guy's a bit of a jerk. And this is the thing that he called, the, he named it the extermination order. Yep. Here's the question. Do you name a guy like that Lothar von Trotha, or is he named Lothar von Trotha and then he becomes like that? He's got to like live up to the name. I think it's probably just a coincidence. There's probably tons of Lothar von somethings that are wonderful human beings. Really? And it's you, don't just think, that, <laughs> you don't think that his like... Don't forget about Lothar of the Hill people. His, his name was like, he was you know, guy. Sonny von Sonnenstein. And then he gets to like age five and he's like... Sonny tor- von Sonnenstein. <laughs> yeah. And he's like torturing cats and whatnot. And they're like, <laughs> all right, we're going to have to bite the bullet. He's more of a Lothar von Trotha. You're forgetting that the German word for butterfly is Schmetterling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you think von Trotha is like you know, it's like beautiful. It's rainbows, beautiful rainbow. <laughs> well, okay. Trotha might be from betrothed. It might be about. Oh. It might be a pro wedding or something. The general staff back in Germany was aware of the atrocities that were taking place, and it's oh, official- so you can't even you can't even argue that like he's just he's a rogue agent like going off on his own. In its official publication, it stated no sacrifices were spared in eliminating the last remnants of enemy resistance. Like a wounded beast, the enemy was tracked down from one waterhole to the next until finally he became the victim of his own environment. 
The arid Omahaki Desert was to complete what the German army had begun, the extermination of the Herero Nation. So the big kahunas back at home office, you, mm-hmm. you, they can't even now argue that they're, uh, you know, that, oh, we didn't know anything about it. This guy went off on his own tangent and, uh, you know, screwed these people over without our knowledge. Well, Governor Lutwein, later relieved of his duties, complained to Chancellor Bernhard von Bülow about Trotha's actions, <laughs> ruining any chance of a political settlement. Although his rationale was not entirely altruistic either. I do not concur with those fanatics who want to see the Herero destroyed altogether. I would, organize, I would consider such a move a grave mistake from an economic point of view. We need the Herero as cattle breeders and especially as laborers. Stop so, killing all our workers. Yeah. Okay. So you sit there, you, the, the governor's going, stop killing them. Do not wipe them out. We don't want to commit genocide. And you go, oh, maybe he's a half decent guy. Ah, uh, no. We need slaves and cattle wrestlers. Breeders. <laughs> Breeders. Breeders. <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> By the end of 1904. Wait, did he think that they could breed with cattle? Did yeah, he think I think that, I think that, that was, what could was actually where he was them? going with there. Yeah. yeah. We need to get some man-cow hybrids. <laughs> so he's insane. He's a mad scientist. To, uh, to you know, make, build us some <laughs> barns for the cowmen. <laughs> By the end of 1904, prisoners were herded into concentration camps and given by the German state to private companies as slave laborers and exploited as human guinea pigs in medical experiments. Oh, awesome. Fred Cornell, a British diamond prospector, wrote of the Shark Island concentration camp. Shark Island. That is an awesome name for an island, unless you're on it. I wouldn't want to be in the waters around it. Ooh. Or do you think the island is actually made of sharks? Maybe it's just shaped like a shark. It's like walking on shark backs. It's amazing. Uh-huh. They're so well-trained. Yeah. <laughs> Card loads of their bodies were every day carried over to the back beach, buried in a few inches of sand at low tide. And as the tide came in, the bodies went out. Food for the sharks. sharks. That's, certainly, that's certainly not going to discourage sharks from coming around the island. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, before it was just Herring Island. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, throw some dead bodies in the beach. <laughs> and all see of a sudden, Shark Island. As many as 80% of the prisoners sent to the Shark Island concentration camp never left. Eugene Fisher, a German anthropologist, came to the concentration camps to conduct medical experiments based on race, using Herero children as test subjects. Oh, nice. An estimated 3,000 skulls were sent to Germany for study. Dr. Bofflinger. Bofinger. Dr. Bofinger. (laughs) (laughs) Injected Herero that were suffering with from scurvy with various substances, including arsenic and opium, to observe the effects on the body, which could only be done via autopsy. The classic medical experiment where you get to do something to a person until they die from it, yeah, and, then, and that, that will lead to some sort of breakthrough in something or other. That'd just be fun. Yeah, I, I always suspect that there's a little bit of that, like, ah, I, I'm having fun with this. According to the 1985 United Nations Whitaker Report, the population of 80,000 Herero was reduced to 15,000 between 1904 and 1907. Mm, that's, that's, a, that's a lot less. At the mm. 100th anniversary of the start of the genocide in 2004, Germany's Minister for Economic Development and Cooperation officially apologized and expressed grief about the genocide. In 1933, the Nazi authorities had named a street in Munich as Von Trothestraub. Strasse. Strasse. Yeah, the, the thing that looks like a B, it's actually pronounced as two S's. Von Trothestraub. Of Strasse. Von Trotha Strasse. In 2006, the Munich City Council officially changed the name of this street to Herrero Strasse in honor of the victims of war. Oh. Give them props for not just sweeping it under the rug and not talking about it. 
Yeah. Right? Like, the, they did one step more than going, oh, shit, that was bad of us. Not only that, like, Von Trotha Strasse sounds like an evil street. <laughs> Unless it means Rainbow Street. I think you just think everything in German sounds evil. It sounds evil. evil. Come on. Lothar Von Trotha sounds more evil than most. Again, it's German. One it all favorite, sounds evil. One of my favorite German words of all time is Käsebrot, and that just means cheese bread. That doesn't sound evil at all. Käsebrot? Sounds yeah. the most evil of everything. <laughs> uh, how about how about, how about the Rathaus? That sounds a bit just like a rat house. Yeah, but it means city hall. Huh? Oh. <laughs> all right, you got me. <laughs> rat you house got me. equals city hall in German. What's next on our list of horrors? Oh, in uh, late 1975, East Timor declared its independence from Portugal, but was almost immediately invaded and occupied by Indonesia and declared Indonesia's 27th province. The Indonesian government then subjected the people of East Timor to extrajudicial executions, routine and systematic torture, massacres, and deliberate starvation. We are now free people of East Timor, independent from Portugal. Get them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is that what happened? That's exactly what happened. That is exactly oh, what happened. Oh, Portugal's not defending you anymore? That's right. Here we come. You're one of our provinces. That's right. It, it was like literally... Fuck. The Portuguese moved out, hmm. and the Indonesians invaded like a month later. Were they nice about it? In August 1983, 200 people were burned alive in the village of Creras, with 500 others drowned in a nearby river, and the village was then razed to the ground. I'm going to put that in the not nice column. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, watched a documentary about this, and the uh, the site where the village used to stand yeah. is only like this little like kind of pile of sticks to commemorate its location that was put there by other people. But they're wow. afraid to put up a monument because the Indonesians will probably come and kill whoever put up a monument. Oh, wow. An I... eyewitness who later testified before the Australian Senate stated that soldiers deliberately killed small children by smashing their heads against rocks. This is 1970, 1975 that's going on, right? Yeah, like sure. we heard about it like back in the 19th century with Tasmanians. Right. And now flash forward, you know, 150 years and still going on. Yeah, it's like people are people. People are people, so why should it be? You well, and I should so get smash your rock. head on a rock slowly. <laughs> I don't know if it was slow. Yeah, that's just kind of rough. I don't think you can rock. smash slowly. <laughs> Again, that's true. That's true. Yeah, you can't smash slowly. Peter Jackson can. <laughs> I don't understand that reference Because he uses slow motion for most of his films Okay, okay, got it At Malim Luro in August of 1983 After plundering the population of all their belongings Indonesian troops firmly tied up men, women, and children They made them lie on the ground and then drove a bulldozer over them Oh! Then using the bulldozer to place a few centimeters of earth on top of the crushed corpses Well, it's convenient, I guess How do you, you just... Okay, so you're you've got you're a prisoner. There's guys with guns, and they're like line up, and there's a bulldozer at one end, mm-hmm. and then the bulldozer starts crushing everybody, and you're in that line. I guess some people would run. Well, you're already well, you're tied, tied up. up. Or you're tied, you're tied up. Tied up, and you're yeah. lying down. You are the road. <laughs> yeah. For the bulldozer. No, yeah. there's a guy with a gun. He says, "Hey, if you don't get, just put your hands behind your back. We're going to tie you up. Yeah. Uh, and like then march you to a concentration camp or something. If you don't yeah. do it, I'll shoot you." So you go, all and right. And you get to a point they go, lie down. That's right. And you go, fuck, okay. You're like, oh, thank God. I've been standing all day. And then right? you're I the, could use a lie down. You're in the middle of how many people was this? Uh, uh, it doesn't uh, give a number, we, we but have... it was like probably a little village, probably like 50 or 60. Let's say 50 people, and you're number 25. You're right in the middle. Yeah. Way down on the other, on the, the edge, there's a bulldozer and just starts squishing people. And you're tied up in a chain to all these other people and lying down. Yeah. That's brutal. Here's the lesser of two evils. Yeah. Uh. Would you rather be the first person in the line or the last person in the line? Because 
you guys always like default to the whole like, oh, if I get five more minutes of life, then yeah. it's worth it. But, but maybe quality, not. Quality of life comes into account. Yeah. If that five minutes is spent listening to all the people of my village being crushed slowly as a bulldozer advances, I think I might want to be at the front. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I'm banking on the bulldozer guy not filling the tank of gas up all the way. That's a... Well, this guy Uh, gets to... Yeah. All right, you you five at the end. Go on, get out of here. We'll just stomp on you with our boots, and they jump up and down and do a little dance. In addition, women faced rape and sexual abuse quite often, sometimes for the crime of being related to an independence activist. Other forms of violence against women took the form of harassment, intimidation, and an enforced marriage. Women were also forced to accept sterilization procedures. Hmm. Pressure to take the contraceptive Depo-Provera, typically being told it was a vaccine or other medicine. Depo-Provera? Is that someone that they inject you with and then you're like, you can't have babies for like a couple of years or something? Oh, I didn't know about this. It's, you get it injected every three months. Basically, the pill is an injection. Yeah, so it's like, oh, hey, we're going to vaccinate you against the flu. Hey, you have your flu vaccine. And then, nope, no babies. Mm. Yeah, so we know that's kind of a common trait amongst genocides, preventing people of having babies. Yep. It's also, hey, take this because you're probably going to get raped and we don't want lots of rape babies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brutal. There you go. Like premeditated, let's prepare for that rape that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hunger and starvation began to claim thousands of lives in the late 1970s. In 2006, the UN released a 2,500-page report that accused the Indonesian military of using enforced starvation as a weapon to exterminate East Timorese. The report, based on interviews with over 8,000 witnesses, as well as Indonesian military papers and intelligence from international sources, stated that the Indonesians used chemical weapons and napalm to poison food and water supplies, and concluded that a minimum of 73,000 people died due to hunger as a result of the occupation. How many pages in a Robert Jordan novel? I don't know who Robert Jordan is. Is he married to Michael Jordan? You don't know who Michael That's Jordan a good is? Question. I don't know who Michael Jordan is. <laughs> We're at a standoff. This is an impasse. <laughs> the Wheel of Time author. Uh, anywhere from about seven to nine hundred. Oh Jesus! Pages. <laughs> so twenty. How much? Twenty five hundred. Twenty five hundred. So like three to four times the size of one of those novels. Three. Well, it's a yeah. series, so you have to read four in the series. Three okay, so it's the basically entire like series. reading all of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a lot of pages. Well, they, they interviewed 8,000 Could have been a witnesses. lot of pages with the charts. Oh, okay. Mm. So I don't know how many charts. Maybe some photos. Yeah. Maybe yeah. more like photos. This is where they did all those horrible things on the body. In 1999, following the United Nations-sponsored act of self-determination, Indonesia finally relinquished control of the territory, and East Timor became the first new sovereign state of the 21st century on May 20th, 2002. Oh. Even after this, however, there are continuing reports of militia gangs carrying out atrocities against pro-independence East Timorese from bases along the border with West Timor. Matt Fry of BBC Online provided eyewitness testimony of one murder. Waller was he's from Scotland, obviously. Mm-hmm. Name like a name Frey. like Frey, yeah. Uh, Waller was running towards the UN compound. A pro-independent supporter was being hunted down like an animal. The young man fell after being hit on the head with a machete, and then six black T-shirts descended upon him. Oh, my God. Were there humans inside those T-shirts? I believe there was. It took only 30 seconds to hack the man to pieces. The attack was so ferocious, bits of him were literally flying off. The sound reminded me of a butcher shop. The thud of cleaved meat, I'll never forget it. Even if it was one of those guys in the black T-shirts, mm-hmm. does each one have a machete? Yeah. yeah. I don't want to be in a group of people macheting anything. I guess that's because true. Because collateral damage. Yeah, totally. Like one of the pieces of meat flying off could be your thumb, no, right? I'm thinking like I'm going to get hit by the backswing. 
Yeah, a no. machete. Yeah, you, or you could come down at the same time. The guy could take your thumb off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's scary. Even being a genocide dude. That's the job. You know, this is the life we chose. That's right. They they probably have WGCB Workmen's Genocide oh, Compensation I Board. See. I was gonna say right? that you, you you know once you become in a machete gang, you just get in the system and you know look if you, you want to go around in a cycle. Ah, uh, yes. Make a murder, you got a you got a technique. If you want to make a murder omelet, you're gonna have to break a few egg. Fingers. It's uh, the East Timorese Olympics. They have synchronized macheteing, right? right. And this, this is one of those like oh, Olympic so race squads. Brought up, they were brought up uh, practicing their genocidal attacks. Yeah, no, I think Torin hit the nail on the head. Like they have, they know, like it. Hey, I'm one. You're six, right? You know, we go in order. Everyone chops in their own time. I thought it was hack stab spin thrust, <laughs> yeah. not hack stab thrust spin. I you get they get back to the shack later on. Like what? Happened out there. <laughs> right? I was hacking. You were thrusting. I'm supposed to thrust. You're supposed to hack. Oh, my God. I have a slight nick on the side of my cheek, and it's all your fault. Yeah. Uh, oh, wait. That's not my blood. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> that's the guy we just dismembered. An East Timorese woman who was captured by a militia regarded one camp guard's comment as, you may have got your country, but it will be a land full of widows. They don't care. They don't care. Who the who raised that guy to say that? What is wrong with his fucking parents <laughs> that they raise a person who would be who would say that to a woman that he just kidnapped? Yeah, you'll get you have your country, but it will be a land full of widows. Like as though that's a good thing for him to say that he's proud that he said that. Well, they want their twenty seventh province really badly. The twenty six other provinces just don't do it for them anymore. Dill holes. <laughs>
the news. October 2013, Spain. Spain's top criminal court has decided to hear a case brought by Tibetan activists who allege China's former president, Hu Jintao, committed genocide in Tibet. Mm. Judges have ruled that they were competent to handle the case because one of the activists, a Tibetan monk named Thubten Wangchen, is a Spanish citizen. Oh, well, good. The lawsuit alleges that a communist, as communist leader in the region, he was ultimately responsible for actions aimed at eliminating the uniqueness and existence of Tibet right. as a country imposing martial law, carrying out forced deportations, mass sterilization, and torture of dissidents. The Spanish legal system recognizes the universal justice principle under which genocide or war crimes can be put to trial outside their home country, mm-hmm. but Spanish law does require any case brought forward must directly involve Spain or a citizen or resident of Spain. Oh, okay. But China has slammed the Spanish court's ruling, calling the move an attempt to attack the Chinese government and sabotage friendly relations between China and Spain. Sure. I love sabotaging our relations. None of that complaint has anything to do with whether or not the accusation is true or not. Well, unless you're alleging the goal of the case is to sour relations and not actually bring any truth to a public forum. Right. But then you would say it's totally not true. Like, you wouldn't go, oh, how dare you bring this up, and this is going to sabotage our relations. Uh, No, you're supposed to go, that's not true, and we didn't kill all those people, or we're not responsible. Maybe it's just lost in translation. Maybe maybe they started out with, you know, uh, Confucian proverb. Yes. Whatever the Confucianisms are called. And uh, and it, it meant that we didn't do it, but it just was like, when the dove lands on the branch... And the branch doesn't know the dove is there. Then do the dove and branch coexist or something like this? And it meant like, you know, na 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 boo boo, I didn't do it. How far along are you on your book of Confucianisms, Kevin? <laughs> I haven't started yet. Well, Because I that... would like, put me down for a copy. <laughs> the one that I'm reading or the one that I'm writing? The one that you're writing. Okay, yeah. all right. There's a lot of doves and flowers involved. Confucian wisdom. By Kevin Leeson. <laughs> when Thubten Wangchen was four years old, his mother died in a Chinese work camp. She was pregnant at the time, and according to Mr. Wang Chen, the Chinese rounded up pregnant women and worked them to death. It was their way of limiting the Tibetan population, says Wang Chen, a Tibetan refugee who has lived in Spain for the last 24 years. You know, okay. silver line of this, he gets to live in Spain. It's supposed to be really nice. That's what I heard. October 2013, Turkey. Mm. The Turks are preparing to smother recognition of the 100th anniversary of their genocidal campaign against Christian Armenians in 1915 with commemorations of their victory over allies at Gallipoli in the same year. Right. It is remarkable how forcefully Turkey has been able to curtail the memory of this tragedy within its own borders. Professor Colin Tatz, director for the Center of Comparative Genocide Studies at Macquarie University in Sydney, Australia, claims that Turkey has used... A mix of academic sophistication and diplomatic thuggery to put both memory and history into reverse gear. Diplomatic thuggery. Love it. In 2005, Nobel Prize winning novelist Orhan Pampuk was put on trial in Turkey after he made a statement regarding the Armenian genocide. The controversy ensued with the burning of Pamuk's books at rallies and an assassination attempt. Hmm. In 2007, Turkish-Armenian journalist Harant Dink, don't chuckle, the man's last name is Dink. He's a hero. Was assassinated in Istanbul in front of his newspaper office. Dink had long endured threats by Turkish nationalists for his statements about the Armenian genocide. He had also been under prosecution for violating Article 301 of the Turkish Penal Code, which makes it illegal to insult Turkishness. What wow. the fuck? Wow. Also, the way that you defend against people accusing you of having done genocide is to not fucking assassinate them. <laughs> How dare you say they were evil and killed people for horrible reasons? Die! <laughs> or how about, hey, 
Turkey committed genocide in 1915. And then you go, arrest that man yep. for yeah. insulting Turkishness. Turkishness. By saying something that we did. Yeah. Again, again. See, ref- what, which part refusing, is the Turkishness? Refusing the to argue about the actual topic. Yeah. Refusing to go, it's not true. Here's why. Here's what actually happened. Here's our evidence. When people refuse to do that, fuck them. That's I, what I say. I really That's want Turkishness. To know- oh, yeah. shit. I just insulted Turkishness. I want to know which part is the Turkishness part. Is it the Turkishness part? to commit genocide and got called out on it? Or is it the not admitting that you did it? Or which part is the Turkishness right, part, right. which this guy's insulting? Well, maybe I have to get uh, read a little closely Article 301 of the Turkish Penal and, Code. And honestly, it sounds like these Turks should probably be proud of their genocide. Yeah. Because they're responding to accusations of genocide with kind of the same thing on a smaller scale. Uh, for the Turks... Yeah, they're not angry <laughs> when, they're, when they assassinate the journalists. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. Hey, yeah, you're right. Thank you, Bang. For, Bang. Thank you for reminding us of what it means to be Turkish. For the Turks, the reason that this is an enormous problem is because any acknowledgement of the Armenian genocide would likely result in land claims and reparations. Uh. They only have to look at recent German and Swiss history to uh, be afraid of what that might entail. Right, right. It is no surprise that they try and control every aspect of the discourse right. on this topic. It all comes back to money. I don't want to have to pay for the horrible things that my country did. Or I don't want to have to return the, right, the correct value of the things that I took away from this yeah. million and a half people when I sent them off to a camp to die and then took all their land and money and property. It is rough, though, because let's face it, uh, a lot of those people didn't do it. Their parents did. And so, do you take it away from somebody whose parents? Right. Yeah. Like I, I'm, I'm saying, I'm saying you probably do. Yeah, with but, interest. But it's, but it's, it's a hard thing to say to those people who, again, had nothing that are to now, do with well, the genocide and yes. thought that all this was theirs as they and, came up. And you're three or four generations removed, right? But maybe you should have done this three or four generations I totally, ago. Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. And too bad, so sad. Yeah. Pop culture. The pop culture section is going to be very short in this episode. And we're done. Because? Well, there's a lot of movies about genocide. A lot of movies, a lot of television, a lot of everything about genocide. Mm -hmm. But when you take out the Holocaust and Rwanda Mm -hmm. and Bosnia, then there's not a lot of movies and television about genocide. Avatar. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You totally got me. Those poor blue people getting wiped out. That that would count, right? Avatar? That was attempted genocide, wasn't it? Totally. They yeah. At the end, they decided to fuck these guys. We're gonna just wipe them out so we can have the what was it called the the unobtainium unobtainium. <laughs> like that was just his. Well, we'll change it once we actually record the movie. Has anybody here tried to watch Avatar not in a theater with the fabulous 3D? I've not seen it since that day. Here's the thing about Avatar. It's not a great story. It's a very basic story that we've mm-hmm. all heard many times before. That's really the complaint about it. Oh, I get what's going to happen. But the same is true when you watch Hamlet. It's about right. whether or not the performance of that story that we all know works. I and, hate Sam Worthington. And oh, sure. I there's He's there's awful. Listen, there's lots to complain about in Avatar. Yeah. But I think overall it's a pretty good telling of a pretty decent story that we're all familiar with. Listen, it's the greatest 3D movie ever made. Like, from a visual perspective. I did just see Gravity, though, and that was pretty fantastic. That's spectacular, too. But Avatar, I think, is the top of the heap. It's certainly... and Because Avatar was four certainly, years ago. Certainly the greatest visual spectacle yeah. uh, in 3D. I watched a two, I watched two BBC documentaries. Namibia, Genocide in the Second Reich. Mm-hmm. So it was about the... Uh, it was about Von Trotha. Okay. A German officer 
went to Shark Island and took pictures oh. of uh, of the operation on Shark Island. There didn't seem to be any buildings or anything. All the Herero were just like sitting on rocks looking out at the open ocean. Oh, wow. With this one white German guy standing in the middle of all of them. Mm. And they all kind of like looked nervous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sharks to the left of me. Yeah. <laughs> white people to the right of me. <laughs> I would be nervous. Sharks to the left of me. Wipe you to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. I don't know. It looks like I'd probably want to fucking jump in with the sharks. And they were taking the Herrero skulls and shipping them off to Germany. So I've got some photos that we'll put on the website, causticsodapodcast.com, that came out of this doc that I found online. Whenever somebody would die, they would sever their head and stick it on a pedestal and take Mm -hmm. a photo of it before they deflesh it and send it to Germany. So there are, if you were to Google Herrero head, you'll see like about 20 of these photos of these disembodied heads on a pedestal. At least a shark is killing you to eat you. Yeah. Right? Like, not it's because like, it's, it's a bastard. Not because mm-hmm. it's not just going to go, I don't like that human, and like bite you and leave you to die slowly so that more mm. humans don't exist. I also watched a movie called Death of a Nation, the Timor Conspiracy. It was interesting. The film crew was shot in 1994, mm-hmm. so they hadn't got their independence back yet. And the film crew was actually forbidden to be in East Timor by the Indonesian government. They'd snuck in and were like interviewing people and going to sites like that village that was raised to the ground and stuff. And so it was kind of interesting. And one of the the side stories was this Australian uh, TV crew that was there when the Indonesians were invading. And then they were all murdered by being strung up by their feet and then castrated and left to bleed to death with their uh, sexual organs stuffed in their mouths. Oh. So you have a news crew, a BBC news crew, reporting about this news crew from Australia being like horribly mutilated and killed in a horrible fashion mm-hmm. um, because they actually don't die. Because they're hung upside down, they don't die from bleeding. They die from the asphyxiation of not being able to breathe their own genitals in their mouth. So you actually strangle. Yeah. There's so much in this episode that we could use for future lesser two evils. Oh, more than we yeah. care to admit, right? So it was very interesting because, you know, you kind of felt that, like, your very real danger. Um, and it's also interesting knowing, like, how it sort of turns out just a few, five years later. Right. So that one I found very interesting. On the plus side, if I were to suffocate on my own genitals, that would be pretty quick. We could go out on that. Because he's got such a small mouth. <laughs> it's such a weird feeling to know you're alive. It's such an awful feeling. You're dying inside. And when you wake up, startled to say, I hope I don't go crazy today. Caustic Soda was recorded by Mike Leeson while doing laundry in his mom's basement. To comment on episodes, make donations, and for links, images, videos, and show notes, visit causticsodapodcast.com. Rate and review us on iTunes. Visit us on Facebook. Tweet us on Twitter at Caustic Soda Podcast. And email us at info at causticsodapodcast.com. Thanks for listening.
Now, this couldn't possibly get any Armenian. <laughs> the start of the Armenian genocide is conventionally held Why to be... Why don't you start that again when I'm not burping over your first word? <laughs> <laughs> Zor.